solid rock I stand. Appreciate the songs that we sang this morning as well. I dare not trust this. My, that's the song I wanted to start with. My hope is built on nothing less, nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I come to you this morning on the merits of the blood of Jesus Christ because it is nothing else that we have to stand on. It's nothing else that gives us hope for the future, nothing else that gives us the courage and hope that we can fly away someday, as we sang in the last song. <clears throat> it's that, as Larry referred to, that the, the, the wonder of our sins being taken before him to Jesus, being taken care of and forgiven by Jesus, that gives us a hope for the best is yet to come. And if you haven't, if you weren't able to be here last Sunday and listen to last Sunday's message, I, I uh, would encourage you to take the opportunity to look it up. It was a, a tremendous, a powerful and an encouraging message. <clears throat> Welcome to each one. It's good to have each one here. I see Rhoda Nisley in the back. Rhoda, it's good to see you here at church again. So glad to see it. Hopefully this is signs of improving and others as well. With some of the thoughts that have already been shared, my mind was also drawn to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. <clears throat> the message this morning is titled, The Light of the Body. And the text is from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, I'll read 19 through 23. <clears throat> Familiar portion of scripture to all of us for sure. Jesus is expounding to his disciples on uh, the Beatitudes as we call these, this portion of scripture. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. The light of the body is the eye. What all was Jesus referring to? What all was he teaching us in this portion of scripture? <clears throat> we know that the eye is, the, we, each of us has two eyes. Most of us have two eyes. Occasionally, we come across a person who was missing one, but we're meant to have two eyes, and those eyes move about, and they see um, whatever there is to see. If, if our eyes are open, we see all kinds of things around us. <clears throat> Some of us need corrective lenses so that we can see more clearly. We have problems with our eyes, and the problems need some assistance. Things can look blurry if we don't have our corrective lenses 
on, and we're not sure what it is that we're seeing. Our eyes are very active. Just think about it as you're sitting here. Um, try to hold real still and try to keep your focus in one spot and try not to blink. Our eyes are moving, are constantly taking things in. <clears throat> it's a very active organism, and active and important and critical in directing our bodies. Try walking out the, the uh, aisle here and down the steps with your eyes closed. Some of us have done this often enough that we might be able to about do it with our eyes closed. I do remember uh, one time when we had a host, we were host family, and uh, Paul and Rhoda came to our house, and Paul was blindfolded, and Rhoda drove, and Rhoda was stumped, if I remember correctly, because Paul claimed he knew where they were based on the driveway and different things that he was see, uh, hearing and, and sensing, and, and, and that is true of our bodies, that if we can't see, the other senses um, assist us and help us, but really, our eyes are critical to um, seeing where we're going, to giving us direction. The eye is to the, to the body what the sun is to the earth in the daytime or what light is to a house at night. It brings things out of darkness so we can see. Just take a moment and look around you and enjoy the blessing of eyesight and consider what it is that you're seeing. Jesus said this phrase here in this verse 22 said, if thine eye be single. What does he mean by if thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light? I would understand this to mean that it, a single eye has a clear and, and simple focus. It's an unadulterated, undiluted, undistracted focus. Um, consider the horses that the farmers use in the fields sometimes. They have blinders on. Why do they have the blinders on? It's to keep the focus on where they're supposed to be going and not allow them to become distracted by what is going on around them or spooked by their surroundings. And when we focus our eyes and whatever it is that we're, we're looking at, typically now that we have the peripheral vision and those kinds of things that we don't think about real much, but typically I'm seeing from point A to point B and there's one line unless... Of course, there's a problem with my eyes, and some people see double. Then one eye might um, stray from the other one, and they see double. And it's unhandy. It's considered unhealthy. Consider someone trying to cross a log over a, a, a fast-moving stream. If that person focuses on the other end, focuses on something um, sure, he fixes his gaze on something steady, he can get across that log. But if he's pauses and starts looking at the water beneath him, that he's much more apt to lose his footing and fall into the, the river. Think about it too, how our eyes are attracted to certain things. There's some things that, that, that our eyes are drawn to almost, with, almost uh, unconsciously or subconsciously. Um, have you found yourself at nighttime if you're driving down the road and, and there's oncoming vehicles with the lights on and your eyes kind of want to go to the light of the vehicle. For some reason, I find that sometimes, and maybe if you do or not. Or if we come to the scene of an emergency and there's flashing lights, you know, our eyes are drawn to that. Or if there's something 
very beautiful, a sunset or fall, fl fall flowers and, and fall leaves. You know, it catches our eye. <clears throat> the single eye clearly refers in this portion of scripture to what is good and, and seeing what is good, focusing on what is good. Think about also how certain things that we see affect our uh, thoughts, our minds, and our emotions. Scenes of evil or disaster, you know, cause us to want to look away, or sometimes it even is, has this uncanny thing of, of, of you just want to look at it, but it can cause us to tremble and in, invoke feelings within us. A beautiful sunset uh, can invoke feelings of awe and wonder. A picture of a little child causes feelings of tenderness and love. When we see a deceased loved one in a casket, it can cause us to feel sad and bring back memories, all kinds of memories. A table full of delicious food can cause our stomachs to rumble and we, we want to eat. And when our, our children eat too much, sometimes we say, are your eyes bigger than your stomach? So what we see definitely affects um, what we do and, and, and produces resp responses and results in us. He also says in verse 23 then, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. What is an evil eye? Understand that at this time, during this time, uh, the Jewish people would sometimes refer to use this phrase, uh, evil eye, to describe a covetous person or a selfish and self-centered person, one who wasn't satisfied with what he had, was constantly looking around at what everybody else had and wanting that. An unsatisfied and unsettled uh, person was, was, called, was said to have an evil eye. <clears throat> now the next thing in this portion of scripture refers to our body, and I've been referring to that as, as well. Does this refer to our literal physical body. And I, I'm sure that we know from experience and from what I've already said that certain things do actually, the things we see actually do affect our physical body. They, 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 they produce action and results um, in our, our bodies. The Bible also makes a connection, clear connection between the body and the spirit. James 2.26, for instance, says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So you have the body and the spirit. You have faith and works. Literal works, physical works, show what is going on inside our lives. And what I take in through my eyes uh, dictates what is, has a huge impact on what is going on inside my life, inside my heart and my spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, I read those verses already in 19 and 20. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Both belong to God. A connection between the body and the spirit. So what we see affects our physical body. It also affects our emotions, our, our soul. Matthew 15 Jesus brings some of these thoughts out as well. Verses 17 through 20. Do, you, do not ye understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the body and is into the belly and is cast out into the draught? 
But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. This was his response to the disciples being accused of not keeping the traditions of the elders. It's what we take in that affects what comes out. And a lot of that is taken in through our eyes. It's not the only way that we take information into our, our being, but it's a primary way. <clears throat> what is in our heart affects what we do. And the Bible tells us in these verses what we've been seeing is that what we see, what we take in, does affect our physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Let's think a little bit then of a heart. And this heart is taking in information. A lot of that information is coming in through the eyes. Our physical eyes record what we see and they transmit it to our brains. And we also talk about the eyes of understanding. You know, we see things and we take it in. It come, goes into our brain and we understand things. Or sometimes we don't understand in this heart that we're talking about, uh, if you can picture with me, from one side is coming in a bright light. There's only one source for this light, and, and it's shining into the heart. From the, let's say, the opposite side, the lower side, comes darkness, and the darkness is threatening to penetrate into that heart. 1 John 2.16 refers to the works of darkness the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There's many facets to the works of darkness, wickedness, immorality, things that we see and covet. As I've already mentioned, the, the, the person with the evil eye, never satisfied with what he has, always looking around at what others have around him. The things that we see and covet is the lust of the eyes. It can be material things that we see others have that we wish we had ourselves. The pride of life is the desire for honor and prestige, excellence in our work, in our sports, in our school, or whatever it may be, and desiring that honor and prestige. Public, desiring public recognition for the accomplishments that we make in life. It seems like there are so many things on the side of darkness that are constantly pressuring and easily for, easy for us to see. But there's many things because none of them satisfy. It's an endless and hopeless quest for, for satisfaction. When we look at the things of wickedness, when we look at the things of the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of light, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We're also, in thinking of this light and darkness, we're, con we're continually told that when light comes in, darkness has to go. You turn a light on in a room, the darkness goes, right? Is there, as we're continuing to think about this heart, is there a possibility that, that some darkness can remain in some of the corners and recesses of our heart? Has the light truly penetrated? If not, all darkness leaves. Is there a possibility that there are sections, rooms, or closets that we've kept doors shut in, on and the light can't get in? Does God allow that? Does he say all or none? 
And, and we believe that God wants everything that we have. He says all or none. What I don't understand and, 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 and struggle sometimes to reckon with is that God is also a God of mercy and grace and, and a marvel at how much patience he has with us because we can get stubborn, right? We can get proud and we can keep doors shut in our hearts. And he would have the power to break them open. But sometimes we keep them shut. But God is patient and gracious and he will continue to prod us and give us room to grow. Can we really expect to keep a few dark recesses to ourselves and be full of light? First John five, first John one, I'm sorry, leads has some powerful things to say about this. Again, we just went through this in our Sunday school lesson in a very familiar portion of scripture. No doubt many of us have memorized. First John one, five through ten. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So it's not on him, it's on us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we lie. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So it's not a whole lot of room given for darkness in our lives in these verses, and especially if we claim to walk in the light, but we allow darkness to settle in or allow some darkness. It's on us. It's, 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 we're deceiving ourselves and no one else. He has made provisions for us because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Considering this then, as the heart, as our eyes see the things around us, and that affects what goes, comes into our minds and into our understanding and affects our hearts and affects our response uh, to the world around us. We live in a, an extremely visually stimulated world, and you know that by now. It's not new. And I date myself when I say some of these things, and I don't mind that at all. Newspapers used to be printed in black and white. Now, if you're really cheap, they still are, but most aren't. They, they, they put color to it. It's nothing to it. Computer monitors, as I remember when they first started coming out, were originally uh, limited to a few basic colors, uh, nothing fancy, and they were not impressive colors at all. But as, as technology increased and um, grew, we, can, we, used, we used to ooh and ah over the increased pixels and the increased color combinations that they kept putting through on our computer screens. And now it's come to the place where it, the simplest computer, uh, even your phones, um, show pictures in such vivid imagery. It's almost better than the actual thing or the real picture itself. Today, many smartphones take better pictures than a lot of cameras back in the day. Well, I talk, speaking of camera, that used to be limited to black and white. 
and then it progressed to color, and then it progressed to digital, and, and now, like I said, many smartphones take better pictures than, than cameras. And then if that's not enough, we have Photoshop, and we can make a picture say whatever we want it to say. We can take out people we don't like, we can add people we like, we can do all kinds of things with Photoshop, and the end result looks actually pretty real. It wasn't always this way. We have WhatsApp, Facebook, FaceTime, Twitter, Instagram, and more to communicate with each other and to blast pictures all over the world. And, and we can even do it for free. We used to have a standard against movies. Some of us would remember that. We still have a standard against television. And yet, in reality, all of us, we could be sitting here with a church house full of people, and every last one of us could be poking around on our smart smartphones, right? doing whatever we want while the preacher drones on and on, each one sending pictures and videos all around the world or watching movies from all around the world. And I say this to say that all of this makes it so much easier for the darkness to pe penetrate into our hearts, and we need to, to, we need to um, be aware. We need to stand guard. We need to be careful. Turn with me now to the portion of scripture that Larry read, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to take a look. I know that I'm skimming through this portion of scripture because there's much said in Ephesians chapter 5, but I want to focus now at some of the remaining minutes of, our, of the time here on how to dispel the darkness within us. <clears throat> and you'll see a lot of action words, a lot of Decisions and choices that we make. Verse 1, follow God. Follow God. Verse 2, walk in love. It's something we do. It's, it's a choice we make. It's something we have to train our minds to do. Follow God. Walk in love. Verses 3 through 5, get rid of sin. Take it out. He lists fornication, which is sexual sins. And in this verse, it, it includes adultery and incest. He mentions uncleanness, impurity in the body and in the mind. He mentions covetousness, covetousness which is greediness, wanting what is not rightfully mine. Wanting what is not rightfully mine. Isn't that a root of many sins? around us, wanting what is not really mine. Verse 4 mentions filthiness, that which is obscene and shameful. He mentions foolishness, foolish talking, constant silly talk. Maybe we should have a message on that someday. And of these things, he says, let it not be once named among you. Don't give reason for it to be a part of your life. Don't give reason for anyone to look into your life and, and or even for yourself. Don't give reason for this to be named as part of who you are. And then moving on, he says, but be thankful, but rather giving of thanks. Let that be a part of your life. Let that be a, a person that you're seen to be, a person who is thankful. Verse 8, walk as children of light. You were sometimes darkness, but you've turned around. You've, got, you've done a 180, and now you're moving forward, walking as children of light. It gives evidence of a single focus. It's what we set our eyes on. It's what we determine that we want to focus on. 
Verse 10, demonstrate what is acceptable to God in our lives. Again, a choice we make and an effort. Now, a lot of this really uh, hinges on a, on a, on a um, change of heart because we all live out of who we are. And my actions are a result of who I am, who I'm inside. We can have a checklist of things, and we can check them off. I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Yep, I'm good. But it can be false. It can be a facade. It can be um, hypocrisy, the Bible tells it, calls it. In reality, we live out of who we are. Demonstrate what is acceptable to God. Separate yourself, in verse 11, from the works of darkness. Reprove them. Expose sin for what it is. Never cover for sin. <clears throat> Verse 15, walk circumspectly. Be observant of your surrounding. And I think it's ultimately important for us in the time and day that we live in. And it always was. I, I caution a little bit. Sometimes we say in the time we're living and we make it sound like it's the worst time ever in the world to live. It is where we are today. It is what, where God has placed us. Is what he, has he called us to live here? I guess he has. This is where, and so we need to walk circumspectly. Consider the world around us. Be aware of what's going on around us. <clears throat> Realize that I'm also saying have a single focus. Um, that doesn't mean be ignorant to, to what's going on around us. <clears throat> the Amplified says in this verse, look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully, worthily, and accurately. <clears throat> Verse 16, make the most of your time. Seize every opportunity for good. Verse 17, learn to understand the will of the Lord. That's a, a, a message in itself. What is the will of the Lord? How do we understand what the will of the Lord is? It's a work in progress. It's something that we have to uh, put effort into doing, understanding what the will of the Lord is. And verse 18, instead of becoming drunk, let's be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> How do we become filled with the Spirit? I think it would be a, a simplicity to say that if we follow what we've been saying already, we give our hearts to the Lord and continually spend time in his word, we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He promises us that and gives us that assurance that when we follow him and yield ourselves in obedience to him, he will give his spirit to us. Verse 19, a heart of singing and praising God blesses those around it. <clears throat> King James Version interprets, says to yourselves, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, other versions translate it as to one another. Either way, um, a heart that is singing and praising God blesses um, those around it. And then he repeats in verse 20, Give thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be a thankful person. Look for the good in the world around you and be thankful. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. And again, we puzzle a bit at those words and what that means. But if we focus on the light, if we focus and have a single mind following Christ, following God, following his word, then there will be no darkness in our lives. Luke 6.36 says it this way, If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, 
the whole shall be full of light as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. <clears throat> Thinking especially then in preparation for communion. Where are we at in our lives? I'm only focusing on the things that we're seeing and doing and how it affects our lives. But there's other things in Scripture that we could uh, speak of and emphasize as well. I'm just going to draw a few thoughts yet from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in regards to preparation for communion. Verses 27 through 32 says this, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and, let, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we should judge ourselves, we should be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And that's as much as I've chosen to read from this portion of scripture. From what I understand of this portion of scripture, unworthily, and it's eateth and drinketh unworthily, is, is used twice. Unworthily is not an adjective. It is an adverb. The, ad, the Amplified says, if anyone who eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body. And I think that's the key for us. Without discerning the Lord's body, if we take, if we move into the communion service with disregard to Jesus Christ and what he has done for us in the suffering and the, satisf and the death that, and suffering that he did for us, that's eating and drinking unworthily. The Corinthian church had turned communion into uh, something that was almost like a party event. It was more of a historical commemoration than a solemn realization. They were not recognizing the broken body and shed blood of Jesus as the sacrifice for their sins. And Paul is teaching that this is a solemn realization and must be treated solemnly. To miss this was the same as being guilty of condemning Jesus to death. And, and I ponder over that at times because how do we solemnly regard the death of Jesus, the suffering and death of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins? Because we didn't see it. We weren't there. And I think if we could have, if we could have, I'm not sure if this is even a right thought, but this is what I'm thinking. If we could have been there, there's something about being there and observing and seeing, right, that makes something more real. Isn't that sort of why we have viewings? You know, when you have, it's to pay respects to the family, of course, of the deceased and of the deceased. But if you miss a viewing or a funeral of a loved one, it doesn't seem as real that it happened. So I ponder over that thought, and I encourage us to think about it as well. How do we solemnly consider the suffering, the death, and the broken body and shed blood of Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins, and focus on that and realize that is really what it took 
and it really wasn't an easy thing for him to do. With that in mind, we're, we're challenged, we're, we're taught to examine ourselves. Do we recognize the Lord's body is a sacrifice for our sins? He was perfect and sinless. We are not. Are we truly repentant of our sins? Do we have a true faith in the Lord Jesus? Do we have a sincere desire to live the Christian life? Are we willing to surrender our will to his? Are we expecting, are we experiencing victory over sin? It's a good time. Communion is a good time to take inventory of our lives. And I believe to do this regularly is a good practice. I think it can be done too often. I'd say that carefully. But I don't think twice a year is too often. I think it's good. Maybe not the only way, but it's good. And I'm agreed with that. It's a good practice. And then as we take inventory of our lives, as we examine ourselves in the light of scripture, and we may need help from our brothers and sisters as well, then when we have examined ourselves, we can eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I believe in verse 29 where he speaks of the damnation that comes from not discerning the Lord's body, not taking, from taking lightly the sacrifice of Jesus. And when examination is skipped and communion is observed in an unworthy matter, spiritual growth is stunted, we become weak and sickly, and eventually spiritual death occurs. I marvel, I marvel at the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ that we can take communion in spite of who we are. Yes, we need to repent of our sins. I'm not trying to belittle that or water that down, but that we actually may observe, that we actually may observe communion in commemoration of what he has done for us, his broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. I marvel that we may serve him. And yet he wants us to. <clears throat> if we completely and honestly examine ourselves, we avoid the judgment and displeasure of God. I'd like to close with a few verses from Second Peter 1. As I look it up, consider what our focus is. What are your eyes set on? Do you have a single focus or are you allowing yourself to be distracted by the world around us? First Peter, Second Peter 1, and I'll read 2 through 4. These verses um, speak for themselves. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. More could be read. But I marvel continually that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And verse 19 says, We also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn 
and the day star arise in your hearts. Let's kneel for prayer.